nails and bowls. Nails and bowls. The Lord led us providentially to a study of the book of Isaiah, and we found several great lessons for men. We knew one of them very well already. That was Isaiah 3. In Isaiah 3, God told, I mean, Isaiah 3 told us that God sometimes removes men and leaves women in charge, and then he goes after immodest women and mocked them in detail for all their accessories and so forth in, in Isaiah chapter 3. So we knew that chapter was there. Comparing things, comparing things. And so we're going to do a little bit of that right now because we've got Shebna versus Eliakim. Comparing things is one of the Bible's favorite teaching devices. It has frequent use of better. There's an outline on our website called Godly Priorities. And it's better, for instance, better is a little with righteousness than a stalled ox in trouble therewith. You know, just over and over again, comparisons help us learn and learn how to rank things as to what's more important than other things. And Solomon's Proverbs, many of them are based on that better concept of comparing things. No two men are equal in the world or in our church. No two men are equal anywhere because they're going to vary, first of all, by God's investment in them. That's a one-talent investment, a two-talent investment, or a five-talent investment. And when we use the word talents, maybe I should just use the Luke passage, because I believe many people get confused by hearing the word talents, and they think it's talents. Because it's pounds. You know, the pound sterling of the British Empire is in Luke, and it's God's investment. And so he invests more in some, and he expects a bigger return from them. So number one factor that no men are created equal is God's investment in them, and two, their efforts. And so when you multiply those two things among men, they vary, different, they vary greatly in their output out, and productivity and character and conduct and ability to influence the kingdom of God. No two men are equal. So as we compare, we want to find those differences, and we want to rise the scale. We want to rise in measurement I want that for each of you, each of you to rise, to be more like David and less like Saul, more like Eliakim and less like Shebna. We compared the great differences between Saul and David before, and here's an outline for it in detail. We compared it and the terrible consequences of Saul. We compared the great differences between David and Joab before, and the details are on our website, and the terrible consequences to Joab. Look at other men. Is there a difference between Abel and Cain? It's huge. That little whiner Cain? My punishment is too great for me. Oh, come on. You killed your brother in cold blood because he was better than you. Abraham and Lot. Isaac and Ishmael. Abraham's sons. Jacob and Esau. Mordecai and Haman. What differences? Paul and Demas. And so the Bible gives us these contrasts and comparisons, we want them to provoke us. This second part is not going to have very much new material, except I'm going to force you to go over Isaiah with me again and some verses there and what they taught us. But can you embrace being better? What drove Quay Barnett to want to go through what he did? And he's no great example because he's not even spiritually minded. But I want all of you to be provoked tonight. I want to be better. I want to be better for the Lord. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband. I want to, I want to seek excellence. 
I want to make a commitment like I haven't made before. The two men that we're about to look at are Shebna and Eliakim. Sinners are demoted, this is what we're going to learn, and faithful men are exalted or promoted. The office is treasurer, prime minister, chief of staff of Hezekiah's kingdom. One's going to be demoted, the other promoted. Let's be warned by the example of what happened to Shebna, and let's be encouraged by what happened to Eliakim. Every man will bear his own burden. That's what Galatians chapter 6 teaches. That's an axiom of the Christian life, and that's an axiom of life. Every man shall bear his own burden. It's going to be costly for those that don't submit to God's order for our lives. What should we know about Shebna? We meet him as Hezekiah's treasure. He was arrogant and proud. He was likely a foreigner, not a Jew, because his father's not mentioned. And the way that he's treated and dealt with is unusual if he was to actually be a Jew. He was probably left over from Hezekiah's father's reign. I've taught you all these things before when we went through Isaiah 22. He probably conspired with Assyria and he probably conspired with Egypt because someone was conspiring with Egypt and sending loads of money down to Egypt. Do you remember? Isaiah 30 and 31, loads of money going to Egypt. Well, who had the purse strings? Shebna. So here we go into Isaiah 22. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts. We love it when the Bible says that. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts. Isaiah, go. Get thee unto this treasure, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and tell him some things from me. As Sennacherib was besieging Jerusalem, two men went two very different ways. And so we're under siege right now to a certain degree, nothing like poor Hezekiah. And let's have all of us men go in one direction, better, upward, higher, nobler. All men go different ways because no two men are equal in character and conduct. God watches all men and so do his angels. They're called watchers in the Bible. And he rewards both now and later. And I want you all to be rewarded now and later for a life well lived. God's revealed will, his revealed will, what he wants us to do is in the Bible. His secret will, he's going to send on you. And you don't know when it comes or what it's going to be because it's his secret. These words, thus saith the Lord of hosts, is Jehovah's judgment on Shebna. Next verse. This is God speaking through Isaiah to Shebna. What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here? That thou hast hewed thee out a sepulcher here, as he that heweth him out a sepulcher on high, and that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock. What kind of a mausoleum are you building to your honor in the city of Jerusalem? Isaiah confronted Shebna like prophets and apostles are supposed to do and like good preachers are supposed to do. Their preaching is to be confrontational because we need to be pushed by God and his word. Lift up your trumpet and tell Israel their sins. Who do you think you are? Isaiah says to Shebna, building a gloriously kingly tomb for your honor. A stone tomb in Jerusalem was outrageously arrogant and presumptuous on the part of this man. Pride cometh before a fall, and Solomon's rule applies to men high and low. Being the treasurer of Hezekiah's kingdom, that had been a high office. It doesn't matter. 
I've found men that, have, that shouldn't be proud because they really don't have much to be proud of, so proud they can't live right. It's unbelievable. We've got to hate pride. Pride cometh before a fall. Shebna's going to fall. Eliakim's not going to fall. And there's a difference between these two men, and we want to see the difference and identify it, and we want to line up with Eliakim. Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. You think you're going to bury yourself with honors and have a state funeral in the city of Jerusalem? Think again. You're going far away and the Lord's going to bury you. God's sentence? Listen, you will not die in peace for a state funeral in Jerusalem. God would send Shebna into captivity and ignominiously bury him. Humble yourself, brethren. Let's humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. He will exalt or he will bury us. We're nothing. We're his servants. We're his little children. Lord, I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Show me what you would want me to do. Like Solomon prayed. It's a great spirit to have. Let's all have it. Let's all be little children. And every time the word of God is opened... Let's pretend it's Bible story time and the Lord is going to teach each one of us little children what he wants us to know. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand because he will exalt. It says so in James chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, or he'll bury you. The fulfillment is not recorded for this verse. Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity and he will surely cover thee. We're not told the fulfillment. We're just given enough description of the prophecy that we can figure out it was ugly for him. Sennacherib might have very well betrayed him. Sennacherib would not have been in the best of moods when 185,000 of his best were killed by the angel of the Lord. And so if Shebna had been out there trying to negotiate with him, Sennacherib wouldn't have been in a good mood about it. Because obviously he was lost and having to go back to Nineveh. We're not told, but the Lord's going to bury him far away in a large country. Look at what the Bible says. He, speaking of our God, will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house. You're going to be discharged dishonorably from the service of King Hezekiah, and the Lord is going to turn and violently toss thee like a ball. Note, surely, God would surely violently reverse Shebna's career and throw him away. This is the God of the Bible. This is the Father that we have in heaven. We don't want him to throw us out of an office. We don't want him to throw us away from our people. We want him to bless us. You know, a sling uses centrifugal force. A discus thrower uses centrifugal force. A violent turn adds great centrifugal force. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. He would die in another nation, probably Assyria, with a dishonorable discharge. The chariots that he had ridden in in Jerusalem for his own glory would shame Hezekiah's rule that that man had been allowed to get away with some public esteem. The Jews, whatever this is worth, say he defected to Sennacherib, who tied him to tails of horses. 
I put it in there just because I like it. Sennacherib tied him to tails of horses, but we don't know if that happened or not. But we do know this. God would surely violently turn, toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die. There you're going to be disgraced. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. This is God speaking here. This is Hezekiah speaking here. God and Hezekiah work together with demoting of Shebna. God's now in the first person to drive Shebna out of his political office. He, now Hezekiah, in the third person, would demote him to a mere scribe. And we're able to read that in Kings and Isaiah, chapters 36 and 37. We know this, don't we? Promotion comes from the Lord. But so does demotion. The Lord raises one up, and the Lord puts another down. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's humble ourselves before Him and let Him promote us for the sake of His glory and honor and for the sake of His kingdom. Like Pharaoh and Haman, God may have wanted Shebna to suffer before dying. I will demote thee, then I will toss thee into a far country where I will bury thee. Remember Pharaoh? He wanted Pharaoh to experience the plagues and the chariot wheels coming off his chariot while in the midst of the Red Sea. The Lord enjoys things like that. The Lord enjoyed Haman coming in one morning to see the king Ahasuerus. And King Ahasuerus said, Haman, it's so good. I need you right now. What should the king do to the man that he wants to honor? And so Haman went off. He already had a list in his pocket of what he thought Ahasuerus should do to honor the man that he wants to honor. And then the Lord said, go do that to Mordecai. Oh, yes. That's our God. Do you think anyone's getting away with anything right now in this country? Oh, no, brethren. Oh, no. And the comeuppance is going to make you shout. There is nothing to fear about bad men in power. They do not last very long. Haman didn't last very long. Pharaoh didn't last very long. Shebna didn't last very long. What can we learn by Shebna? How you are doing now means nothing. Don't feel secure. There's only one place for security. Obedience in the Lord our God. Complying with the Bible. Walking with God. Delighting in Him. Being a living epistle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not measure God's approval of your life by what's happening to you externally. Don't measure it by health. Don't measure it by wealth. Oh, no. It's the prosperity of fools. Past success does not indicate future survival. Shebna had been successful, but he was going to lose that office. God hates pride and will destroy proud men. God would violently destroy the man, so let us humble ourselves for God to exalt us. We don't want the exaltation for our name. We want the exaltation for the glory of God, His name, and His church. God directly and indirectly governs. God said, I will violently turn and throw thee, and he will demote thee. So they were both working together. Hezekiah demoted the man from being treasure to being a mere scribe, and then God threw him out of the nation into the land of Assyria. 
Never fear corrupt men in power, brethren. Shebna was a corrupt man in power, but we don't have to fear them as so many of you responded enthusiastically tonight to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8 that that's our comfort stick. That's our teddy bear to go to bed with at night along with Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson. Because the horse is prepared against the day of battle and the gun is loaded against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Okay, we shift to Eliakim. Still Isaiah 22 at the end of it, and verse 20. It shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Now it's important to notice this, that we've got two Hebrew names, Elohim at the first here, and Ayah for Jehovah, because there's no father for Shebna mentioned, and Shebna is not a Hebrew name like these names are. And so that, that gave us a little bit of an indication that Shebna may have been an imposter that was a hangover from Hezekiah's father, Ahaz. God can easily find a better man to take your place and do a far better job. He can do that in your business. He can do that with your wife. You say, did you have to say that about putting a better man in bed with my wife? Isn't that what happened to Abigail? And do you know what the Lord did to Nabal? He let him have 10 days to think about it. Oh, yes. That's the God of the Bible. So don't be secure in your life unless you're living obediently. We all need to examine ourselves. Am I living obediently? Am I full of faith and good works? Is my faith working by love? God said this to Saul about David. Samuel had the wonderful news to tell Saul. God has sought for a man that is after his own heart, and the kingdom has been taken away from you. No, I can't pray for you. It's too late. It's over. Nabal thought about this before he died. He had ten days because he knew that Abigail had come to the aid of David against himself by not telling him until his hangover was gone that she had aided David and his men. God and Hezekiah demoted Shebna. God and Hezekiah promoted Eliakim. God said, I will call my servant Eliakim. Are you God's servant like Eliakim? Let's love this word right here. Are you God's servant like Eliakim was? by faith and love in his church. Will you do anything for a brother? Do you do things for a brother? Are you engaged in participating and embracing and helping and lifting and building this church? That's an Eliakim. They're engaged. And they're serving the Lord and they're serving his people. Here's what the Lord will do for Eliakim. I will clothe him with thy robe. Remember, God is still speaking to Shebna through Isaiah. So God is saying, I will clothe him with thy robe, Shebna. The trappings that you have of your political office are going to be given to Eliakim. And I'll strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. That's a leader. That's a political office holder. He'll be a father. You know, we have national fathers. George Washington is a father of our nation in this sense of the word, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
and to the house of Judah. God is still speaking in the first person to Shebna through Isaiah. Ouch! Look at this verse. I will clothe him, your competitor, with thy robe. And I'll strengthen him, your competitor, with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into your competitor's hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do you know how we can already line up with Eliakim? Let's always be serving the Lord's people. Shebna was serving himself. Shebna was having a mausoleum carved out of stone in the city of Jerusalem for a burial possibly greater than a king's burial. Let's be willing to stoop down and serve the Lord's people in any way that we can. Let's be willing to run around for them. Then we're already lined up with Eliakim and we're lined up far away from Shebna. Shebna's office and role and the trappings and respect would go to Eliakim. You can lose what you have and it be given to another. God can do it in business. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. As Proverbs chapter 27 teaches, it does not matter who you are or what you do, God hires and fires unseen. God hires and God fires. He hired Eliakim. He fired Shebna. Before I preached Isaiah 22, we weren't familiar with Shebna and Eliakim. I'm going over it again. I don't want you to ever forget those two men. They're in the Bible for a reason. And it's a beautiful passage. And it's short, and it's powerful, and it's weighty. We want to be like Eliakim. God wants faithful men who will take care of those under their authority. Are you taking care of those under your authority? Husbands, are you taking care of your wives? Is your wife better this year than she was last year? Is your wife better this year than she was five years ago? Are you taking care of her? Are you a father to her? Are you a husband to her? Your children, your grandchildren, are you helping them be better? God wants faithful men. Shebna wasn't concerned about others. Shebna was in it for the money, the office, the prestige, the glory, and the chariot rides that he could make through Jerusalem. Those things have been mentioned. We don't want glory. We don't want attention. God wants faithful men who will take care of those under their authority because that's what he puts you in an office, any office for. And you know what? As soon as you were born, you were put in an office because you were a boy. And you came out hung. And that means you're going to be a husband to a woman. You're going to be a father to children. You're going to be a grandfather. You're going to get in this pulpit. You're going to present psalms. You're going to pray. You're going to participate in this church because you're a man. As soon as you were born, let's fulfill it. Hezekiah was a descendant of David. It was David's kingdom. David, David, David. Psalm 132. David, David, and the son of David. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. That's Eliakim's. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. God told Shebna he would give the Davidic authority of his office to Eliakim. We speak this way when we give the key to the city to a visiting dignitary. We give him the key to the city. Shoulders, the best way to carry, where you can carry the most weight, are a metaphor for the burdens of state. I'll lay upon his shoulder. What a privileged position Shebna had like Saul had, but both lost everything. Saul was the first king of Israel. God made him physically very impressive, but he lost everything. 
He was profane. He was impatient. He wasn't spiritually minded. He was jealous. He was envious. Why didn't he just unleash David? David would have cleaned up the whole Middle East and they all would have been paying tribute to Saul while Saul golfed. If he'd have just unleashed David. Instead, he was envious of David and tried to kill him. That's just twisted self-destruction. Oh, Lord, help us. We don't want to be like Saul. We don't want to be like Shebna. We want to be like David and like Eliakim. God speaking still. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. What was his father's name? Hilkiah. He would be a glorious throne. He would be like a king able to dispense with lots of goodies to Hilkiah's big family tree. Eliakim was the son to his father Hilkiah, but Eliakim would have the office to take care of his dad and all of the descendants of that family tree. It's just a glorious opportunity, and it's one of the reasons I have brought it up tonight. I want every one of you young men in here to aspire to being the nail in a sure place and the glorious throne to your family. And I mean spiritually as well as materially. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. When you've got something heavy to hang on the wall, what do you look for? It's a word that starts with S. Studs. You want to find a stud so that you can sink a long nail into a sure place that is going to hold. Does drywall hold very well if you add very many pounds? Not unless you use some fancy fastener. And that's what that means. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. I am going to peg Eliakim in a solid place, in a political office, where he's going to be able to be a benefit to the whole family tree of his father. It'll be like him having a glorious throne to serve his family. You don't have to think about a throne. You don't have to think about glory so much. Do you want to be the best for your, for your father? I mean the best. Do you want to be the best sibling for your father? The best spiritually? The best religiously? The best professionally? Zach, I want you to be the nail and the glorious throne. And you're working at it. He's working on his family. When that storm, if you looked at that video and watched that big wide storm just go around Jeter Mountaintop and spare him and, it, and him be higher in elevation and no freeze on their apples? Are you kidding me? What one four-letter word came to mind immediately? Nail. Oh, yes. Nail. The similitude of a nail is, not for, is for not moving. The similitude of a nail in a sure place is for not moving, being secure and stable, and for hanging burdens on it. I want you to understand the verse. I will fasten. God would fasten. God would put Eliakim in a job, in a political office, like a nail in a sure place. You will not lose it. You're going to keep it. You're going to stay there. And you're going to be able to benefit your family. 
When we put a nail or hook in a wall to hang things, we find a sure place. God chose the office, treasure. God chose the man, Eliakim. God established the man in the office. Praise the Lord. That's how things happen in the world, and we know that from the Bible. God promised Eliakim would bring great honor to his family by the use of that office. Every man. Every man should fulfill his daily roles with the goal of creating family glory. Not family glory earthly as much as family glory spiritually and with the God of heaven and with other godly men. What an ambition. It's in the Bible. You know, sometimes we focus on little things to help us get motivated. What's one of the best reasons to want to earn more money on the job? To give it away. That's a highly motivating reason if you're a good Christian. You want to make more money so that you can give it away. I know that you young men in this congregation, whenever anything is given to you or there's any help, you get irritated by it and you say, okay, I'll take it, but I can't wait for the day when I'm the one giving and not the one taking. Well, I'll punch the air when I leave your presence because that's the right attitude to have. But that's one of the best reasons to want to make more money. And so this is one of the reasons for you to get up tomorrow morning. I want to be the best son of my father. I don't care if there's others. I want to be the best. I expect my brother to be thinking the very same thing while I'm talking about it right now, while I'm thinking about it while I'm talking about it right now. And my dad's the beneficiary of it. We're going to duke it out. Who's going to be the best son? When I find out about him going to see my dad and doing something at his house, i got to make up for it by doing something for my dad a day or two later. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. This is what the verse is saying. It's a, different, it's a different level and a different kind of motivation for you to want to be great men. And they, the Father's house, shall hang upon him all the glory of his Father's house, the offspring and the issue, the future of it, the glory of it, the sustenance of it, the protection of it, the prosperity of it, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups even to all the vessels of flagons. Notice, we're talking about children, offspring and the issue of Hilkiah's family tree. Hilkiah's family tree, but it's not the apex that's the nail. It's Eliakim under Hilkiah. The nail metaphor here is for hanging the needs of all family members on it. The family tree of Hilkiah, Eliakim's father, would benefit by his life in office. Hilkiah's family tree, the offspring and issue, is compared to wine vessels. The nail, to hold up all family members, would be sufficient for every need. Men, do not settle just to be a child of your parents. Stand up and be counted by your family. As a spiritual leader, as a financial leader, as a professional leader, as a great example, give your parents great joy. Let, let the whole family hang on you. You say, well, I think they're hanging on my brother. Well, let the family hang on both of you. You say, well, I've got two brothers. Let the whole family hang on all three of you. May the best man win. These verses are just flat out wonderful. Hilkiah was blessed. And look at how God is identifying his blessing through a son that he's going to put in an office where he can benefit the family tree. And then we come back to Shebna. Because remember, God is still speaking to Shebna through Isaiah. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, 
shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed. Because, see, there was a man who thought that his office was, he was going to be in that office until death, and then it would be a state funeral as they led him with a great procession to his mausoleum carved in stone. That nail that's fastened is going to be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was on it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Every one of the toadies and those that were trusting Shebna for financial advantage and professional advantage because of his position in the kingdom of Hezekiah, they're all going to be dropped as well because the nail's going to be pulled out with a claw hammer and Shebna's not going to be in a sure place anymore. This is the word of God. You say, well, I feel pretty sure about my life right now. I told you already, don't do that. Don't do that. Run to God and find refuge in Him in obedience and repent for any pride or, or trust in yourself and trust in Him only. Shebna's secure office and role that supported his family tree would end. When God speaks against a man, those relying on him will also be demoted. So the, the family tree of Shebna, in whatever form it was and however large it was, fell with him. Our wives and children and grandchildren depend on us. Let's be like Eliakim. My wife's fortune before the Lord, my wife's life depends on me. I thank God for leading us through Isaiah. My wife has had the best spiritual year of her life. And she's 60. The best one of her life. Ask her. She'll tell you. I thank God for that privilege. Us sharing Isaiah was a blessing. It tied the Bible together for her. She didn't see how the old and new connected and how the minor prophets fit in there and how many of them were contemporaries and preaching the same lesson. It was all a huge blessing to her. She devours the Word of God now in a different way than she ever has. She used, Lord, thank you. And it was by God's providence that we took up Isaiah. Jeremiah would have been a vacation, but we didn't. We went to Isaiah, and we found prophetic similitudes there that helped understand the rest of the Old Testament. I hate talking about myself. I know that there are people that have had other people in the church that this past year has been great for them. But we as men, you as a man, did your wife have the best year of her life? Are your children having the best years of their lives? Our wives and our children and our grandchildren depend on us. We need to be like this guy. This is not a women's meeting or a church meeting. This is a meeting of men. Be like Eliakim. Your job, your glory, your peace, your value are only as good as your obedience. Eliakim was a servant. Remember what it called him? He was a servant. Let's be servants of God and servants of his church. Then our wives just have to hold on to our coattails. When I came back to be your pastor... My wife said she couldn't do it. I told her I have enough zeal for both of us. Just hold on to my coattails. I sat her down in my office and talked to her just like a pastor would talk to someone, but she was my wife. And I'm not telling you secrets or anything, and I'm nothing, I'm nothing by it. I'm just trying to give you examples to think about how much you owe your wife. Is she better spiritually this year than she was last year because of you? 
then you're an Eliakim. If you're just looking out for yourself and you're self-centered and selfish and harsh and cruel and quick and sharp with her, then you're a Shebna because he was looking out for himself. Help us, Lord. Help us to be like Eliakim. First and foremost, he was a servant of God. How do you rank in public service to God? His service was public. David's service was public. David's service wasn't private. David wasn't a private man. Yeah, David prayed in his bed, and he told us all about it in the book of Psalms. But as we heard on Sunday from Psalm 132, David wanted to move the Ark of the Covenant, which Saul never thought about, to a new tabernacle that he built for it. Then he wanted to build a temple for it. Then he wanted to pay for it, always publicly involved. Let's all jump in to build this church to be the best church possible. Do you fulfill your offices to all under you? Are you a glory? I have a lot under me. Lord, help me. Have mercy upon me. Convict me. Teach me. Show me. Guide me. Remind me. Are you a glorious throne to your father? Are you of benefit and value to your father's family tree? Do you help or nurture all the downline? You are not your own. Others need you. Because when you were born... There was a cry that went up. It's a boy. So others need you. Life is a comparison and competition. Shebna and Eliakim were our examples tonight. David and Saul have been at other times. David and Joab at other times. Abraham and Lot at other times. Don't resent the pressure. Embrace it. West Point creates pressure. And the great ones embrace it. There's pressure. If pressure comes, let's embrace it. And let's be great. Will you be a nail in a sure place for all those under you and for the glory of your father's and father's house? Will you be a nail? This is not, this is not mean. It does not mean to be what your father was himself or what he wants you to be unless perfectly scriptural. The greatest glory you can give your father's house is to be the godliest man of all your siblings and all your relatives. So simple. Be the godliest man in your family. Bringing home the bacon is what pigs do well. That's what pigs do. They bring home the bacon. That's nothing. Pigs do it. You have many more duties from God for the benefit of those under you. Life is a comparison and competition. David and Paul were the best. Don't resent the pressure. Embrace it. David was the youngest of eight sons, but it was good enough. He was the glory of Jesse's house. Paul could hardly be called an apostle and said so, but he was the greatest worker of them all. Oh, boy. Okay, you know what that is, don't you? They're pretty well hung. That's why they're bulls and not steers. Yeah, look at the muscle. Look at the muscles. This is one of my favorites. And you know why this is there, for the same reason, the strength. Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army were besieging Jerusalem. The Jewish young men were worthless for those depending on them. Everyone could depend on Eliakim because he was a, he was a nail in a sure place, but not the, bulls of, not the young men of Isaiah 51. There is confusion and turmoil in America today of all kinds. Eliakim was a nail for his father's house, but God created men and sons to be bulls, 
for their church and their mothers. Bowls, like those pictures that I just ripped through. A church is compared to a woman in the Bible and needs bowls for strength. A godly woman deserves and wants a bowl like David was for Israel and his mother. I gave you two verses from Psalms in the Tuesday update that said that David in his prayer to God reminded God of his mother was God's servant, God's, God's handmaid. Isaiah 51 and verse 18, There is none to guide her. That's the city of Jerusalem among all the sons whom she hath brought up. Those are all the young men of Jerusalem. Neither is there any that taketh her by the hand. A woman needs to be taken by the hand. And that's why she brings up boys. Jerusalem as a city is compared to a woman that gave birth to sons. Remember, God's judgment at another time, Isaiah 3, was to take away men. All the sons, the men and young men a city needs, could not be found in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar surrounded it with his Chaldean army. A city, a woman, need men to take them by the hand and lead them. Can your church, your mother, your wife, depend on your virtuous strength? Can our church depend on you to contribute more than your part? Can your mother count on you to bring joy to her heart that you are a spiritually minded young man like Samuel? Can your wife count on you for you to lead her closer to the Lord Jesus Christ so that when he comes, she can stand confidently before him? Then be a bull. The lack of male leadership and strong men is appalling today. Which young men in this church will answer the call to be righteous leaders among us? These two things are come unto thee. Two things, destruction from God and a loss of men. Thy sons have fainted. Thy sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. If you threw a net over that bull, all that thrashing and all that energy doesn't lead to any productive work. They are full of the fury of the Lord. That is, God has judged them in fury, the rebuke of thy God. Young men are a great blessing when they use their strength for God. What are you using your strength for? Your time for? Your energy for? Your youth for? Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth when you're a bull. The glory of young men is their strength, but bodily strength is the least valuable of all strengths they have. Young men are like bulls. They're fearless with great strength, but these bulls fainted. Are you fainting? What's getting the better of you? We can tell when you're not spiritually minded. We can tell when you're in a spiritual funk. We can tell when you're carnally minded. Why are you fainting on us? Bulls don't faint. Only bulls in a net faint. Their thrashing wears them out. What's stealing your energy and your strength for us? Fainting is a feminine term. Bulls have no fear and they rise to finish any threat. Can your church, I ask it again, can your church, your mother, your wife, depend on your virtuous strength? Women rejoice when they give birth to a man-child. The Bible tells us that all their labor pains go away when a man is born into the world. But it kills mothers when those boys grow up to be fools. And a fool, by our definition, is different than other churches. Other churches, it's someone who's mainlining heroin. We couldn't give a rip about drug usage. We're at a far different level than they are. We're looking for someone who is sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the heaviness of his mother. 
and it's bitterness to her that bear him when she has a boy that grows up to be a fool instead of a bull. What will a bull be like? His conviction will last more than a week. Listen well to me. Some of you can't hold conviction for a week. He rejects childish diversions to man up and be a spiritual leader. He goes through opposition or difficulty easily. He doesn't fear enemies or hard work. He rules his spirit and rejects moods. If cast down, no one knows about it. If cast down, he's never destroyed because he keeps doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's what a bull is like. Everyone in this room was born male. God chose your sex and made you to be a leader in your family and church. And I'm done. Nails and bowls. Nails and bowls. Who wants to be both? Who wants to be driven into a sure place where your family can hang on you as a nail? And who wants to be... It's the Lord's metaphor. I didn't pick the word bull. I just liked it. Because out of the 1,282 verses of Isaiah, I liked those three verses. I want to be a bull for the Lord. I want you to be bulls for the Lord. I want your mothers to rejoice. I want them to know, no matter what happens, I have a son that I brought into this world that is going to take me by the hand and lead me through any trouble that the future might hold. You can do that. I also shared a little bit with you, and I think my wife is going to share some more with your wives, about John Newton. His mother had tuberculosis and spent... She had him when she was 20. She died at 27. He was a seven-year-old boy. She taught him enormous chunks of the scriptures, of the catechism, in bed. She was a weak mother, but she taught him. And when the Lord tried him with a severe storm off the coast of Ireland, he called on the God of his mother. And he wrote Amazing Grace and Glorious Things of Thee are Spoken and so many other good songs that we have because of a mother that invested in him, even though she was weak. But she had herself a bull, even though she died to never see him. You know, David's mother. Look at Hannah. Hannah got to read the newspapers every day whenever her other five children weren't around so that she could read about Samuel's greatness. Because he was a nail, and he was a bull. Stand with me. Please, please. Everyone in here can be a nail. You don't have to go to West Point. Who cares about West Point? What a waste. Serve this church and serve this kingdom. Be a bull. Get off, tear the net off that's holding you back. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' glorious name, who at 12 was a bull and told his parents, that he needed to be about his father's business. Oh, Lord, all I can do is what I've done, and it's not very good, but you are able to do great things by taking flawed efforts and a small lunch and multiplying them for the benefit of each of these young men, middle-aged men and older men. Let us be nails for our family, nails for our wives, that they can hang on us, nails for our children, grandchildren, and bulls. Heavenly Father, raise up some young bulls in this church that will get rid of the nets and cut them off and give, bring great glory to thee and profit to our church and joy to their mothers. Have mercy upon us. 
Do not let them be discouraged, these, these men, by anything that I have said in any way or any tone of voice. Let them know that they can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth them. As they sang in the beginning, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Have mercy upon us and take us safely to our homes. And we'll thank you as we do now. We'll thank thee forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.